Hello everyone, welcome to the episode 45 of Solid Saturday. The guest we have today, Dennis R. Mortensen. He is an expert in leveraging data to deliver business insights, a serial entrepreneur who built and successfully exited several companies before founding X.AI in 2014. He is a recognized leader, author, and university instructor in the field of digital data and analytics. I'm very excited to listen from him and so are you. So I know uh, we will just welcome him and uh, hear more about his career journey. How did he find his area of interest and managing to lead that area? So Dennis, uh, very happy to have you on the show. A very warm welcome and appreciate all your time and consideration to be on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's going to be fun. Yeah, thank you. And uh, moving towards our first question, uh, I asked this question to every guest on this show. So when I came across your profile, I saw that you did your education in the computer science in early 90s. And then it's like, you know, completely inclined towards your passion, entrepreneurship. There is no doubt that, you know, you are strongly inclined towards this passion and area of interest. So how did you, like, when you look as you, young you actually, find your interest or the passion in it? I happen to grow up in a family of entrepreneurs. So my dad ran his own company. So did my uncles, mm -hmm. cousins, and what have you. But the funny part of the story is that I very early on decided that I did not want to be an entrepreneur even though I ended up with a lifelong career in entrepreneurship. But my idea was to go get my computer science degree and go work for IBM. So I'm from Scandinavia. So my whole plan was one for where I get my degree, mm -hmm. take my bicycle, go to IBM, and just sit and code and be happy. And you can do all the planning you want, but somehow life tends to pull you in a direction whether you like it or not. Mm. And there's all sorts of choices you make, many of them not deliberate, that will take you to that destination. And I think through osmosis, I got exposed to so much entrepreneurship so early in my life that mm. I got drawn in that direction. So even as I very deliberately leaned into that kind of IBM career, and I say IBM as in, it was specifically that firm, I knew exactly where they were located in the city, and I thought I'd just go there. The beginning of the story, and I'll spare you the, the long version, but I did game development in college mm -hmm. uh, just to get a few monies in my pocket like any other uh, student. And the last title I worked on, the company ended up going bankrupt. Mm -hmm. And in disappointment, I ended up buying the assets of that company. That sounds like... Uh, something grand but back in the day most lawyers didn't know much about software so i bought all of the software assets for next to nothing and i ended up selling them back to those who owned the company shortly thereafter and made what i thought was a fortune you know, in hindsight it was not but i felt i had a few monies in my pocket but even with that i didn't want to be an entrepreneur but i thought you know what let me take this pool of money Mm -hmm. invest them into a company, lose it all, and then I go work for IBM. So I invested uh, into this uh, kind of internet consultancy that tried to extract meaning from data in the mid-90s, which turned out to be very good timing 
And I ended up running that company up to about 70 people and we had a good exit mm -hmm. in April 2000. And then, well, you're in it kind of for life. And now, 24 and a half years later, I'm on my fifth venture, having spent about five years on each. And uh, there's the beginning to the story, which was not a uh, deliberate design, but uh, certainly very happy that I spent half my working life uh, in startups. That's great, actually. And uh, I feel that uh, throughout, you know, uh, the way you started it exploring uh, and then when you landed up being an entrepreneur, I think you just uh, stick to it and then you are growing and growing day by day. So that's great to see. And thank you so much for sharing. Moving towards our next question is about, you know, uh, when we think about any area of interest or the passion and to achieve success in that particular area you are interested in, uh, what steps did you take if you look back? And uh, I'm sure there must be, like, being an entrepreneur is itself a very challenging journey. Uh, so we would like to love to listen about it. There's a million things you and me can say about entrepreneurship. Uh, mm -hmm. All of them reasonably sane, mm -hmm. and some of them will be applicable to uh, some of the people listening. If I were to kind of extract two of them mm -hmm. that certainly helped me, that I think most people could find value in, uh, the first one would be that you should probably imagine entrepreneurship as a lifelong career. Mm -hmm. And if anything, think of it as perhaps professional sports, which is that you can't just play one game and expect to be a world champion. You probably need to play many games mm -hmm. with many people mm -hmm. and lose many games. But as you do that, you become ever better. Mm -hmm. And I think some people have this, I do something for a while, right out of college, some job for eight years, mm -hmm. then I do a venture. For two years, spent all my savings, it didn't work out, and I'll never go back. That I'm not fond of. I think you should try to think of it as a lifelong career, perhaps where you do 8, 10, 12 ventures, and mm -hmm. it's a 50-year career, and expect to lose most of them and be okay with it. That is not a, a character flaw. That is just a design of entrepreneurship, like professional sports, where no world champion will tell you a story about, you know what? Uh, my name is Roger Federer. I played tennis now for about 20 years. I haven't yet lost a game. Roger, he loses games all the time. He just continued to kind of at least try to perfect his games. That's the first one. Don't think of it as this, I do one, I dabble in it, I come in and that's that. And if I don't win, I'll never come back. That is uh, doing a disservice to yourself. <laughs> Now, that's the, the first one. The second one is focus. And I'm not sure I am even able to come up with enough reasons for why this is of the utmost value. So I'll use the rather kind of crude uh, explanation here, which is that it's almost easy to be kind of half-assed at seven things. It is almost impossible to be world-class at one thing. But you should at least try. We can go back to our Roger Federer analogy here. <laughs> it's not like he's playing a little bit of tennis, a little bit of golf, plays soccer on the weekends. He at least 
tries to be world-class at tennis. And if you want to be world-class at anything, you should focus, like really focus. And you should apply that uh, degree of focus to anything you do, even down to the idea. So most people, when they think of an idea, uh, doing all sorts of research, and we can talk about exactly how you would latch onto it, but you should slice anything which you do down to a element so thin that you think it's this is too little. This is a there's nothing here. Oh, then you're onto something. It needs to be so hyper focused that you're uncomfortable. Then you got the right slice. So those will be the two. Yeah. So the way I understood it is more being the consistent and having like a lifelong career, which is like focused on particular area, even though you have multiple hobbies or the interest uh, focusing one area where you want to go lifelong, like, you know, build your career in. And that's, uh, that isn't, many would immediately translate that into, oh, Dennis, are you telling me I need to sit and do the same thing for 50 years straight? Mm-hmm. No. Not really, as in, go ask uh, Roger, we'll continue with that analogy. They're all different games, <laughs> but it's still the same sport, but it's different games. And you know, I've chosen a lifelong career in entrepreneurship with a focus on data, how to extract value from it, but they're all different games. As in, our prior venture, we did predictive analytics for media. This <laughs> particular venture, we do AI for meeting scheduling, but it's rooted in the same kind of setting. But Different games. Yep. So yes, that is me reading it back to you one more time. Yes. So we are coming back to the question actually. So when I saw your career journey, even though it is entrepreneurship, uh, you found the particular area of interest also way back in the data field. Like right now, it is like a lot more in the hype. Uh, it's like a famous buzzword around the you know uh, all the professionals that data, data, data. So you found it way back. So uh, you were in the web analytics, as you mentioned, and then predictive analytics. And your current organization is also in the artificial intelligence, X.AI. So how did you vision it is so early in your career, like this specific field? That is a good question. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's uh, one big part uh, luck, but it's also one for where once you fall in love with something, it is difficult to extract you from it, mm-hmm. yourself from it. Like uh, I've been with my wife for 20, sort of 26 years. Mm-hmm. And once you fall in love, well, we're going to grow old together. As in, I have no other imagination than us just growing old together. Mm-hmm. And if I go back to the data story, so the first exposure to compute that I had was extremely data-centric. As in, when you pick up an iPhone today, it is so different to what happened 25 years ago when I certainly was in school. It was extremely data-centric. As in, it was all about trying to extract some value from something that was so not visual that that was just uh, what I was rooted in, and I kind of fell in love with it. And then, of course, it became ever more sophisticated what we could do with compute over time. But it's always one for where that love for that kind of raw data set, raw, really unstructured data set, kind of never disappeared. We can just do more with it today. The type of uh, 
kind of models we can build in 2020 are mm-hmm. certainly very different than the models we can build in the, the mid 90s. Oh, okay. That's good to know, actually. Um, and uh, how do you see this area you know, evolving uh, over the period of time? I'll give you in many different directions. I'll give you one particular direction mm-hmm. that uh, I find interesting. Mm-hmm. So it used to be, certainly for the vast majority of my uh, own career, mm-hmm. that the value would be in the answer. As in, uh, early on, uh, we would extract uh, insights mm-hmm. from website log files. As in, I can tell you a story about your visitors to your website, where they came from, what they did when on site, mm-hmm. what particular segment might be more successful than other segments. But that is me answering a question. And all the way up to this point, and probably still today, the answer is of high value. Now, imagine that it is not as expensive to get the answer. So even today, if you want to figure out something, you probably need to hire an expert, put a BI solution in place, have him, her sit and extract insights from that data set and come back to you, sometimes working days, weeks, months. Now, imagine a not-too-distant future where the answer Mm-hmm. might come so cheap that it is of little value. Well, if the answer is of less value, mm-hmm. where does that put us? That will put us in a place where the question is the most valuable part. That the answer anybody can get, then we just need to figure out what are the best questions. Well, if that flips around, that the question will be more valuable than the answer, mm-hmm. that might also flip the organization around mm-hmm. where some of the people who holds the best questions are many times those who sit closest to the customer. And we now have these kind of odd organizational setups mm-hmm. where unfairly many of those who sit closest to the customer at the bottom of the organization, people in uh, support, success, account management, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But they might just sit with the best questions. That could kind of not see the organization flip, but certainly uh, wreak havoc to the kind of current structure of who we think is the most important individual in the organization, because that might just be the first line customer support person who will sit and say, I have a question on whether these features increase the LTV for our customers, because I'm seeing plenty of issues coming in. And you can just ask those questions. If you did that today, as in, let me email some data scientists in uh, this and that department, everybody will go bananas and say, hey, what the hell are you doing? We're paying these people 180K a year. You can't just email them willy-nilly. Just do your job and uh, you know close the tickets. No, that might flip around. So I find that interesting, that questions might just become more valuable. And people elsewhere in the organization will become more important, if that makes any sense. Um, yes, yes, definitely. And thank you so much for sharing. Uh, moving towards our one more important question, which is about X.AI, which is the AI-powered scheduling network. Schedule all your meetings with all the your con- 
your contacts instantly uh, and for free i also checked out the platform actually and you can actually integrate it with the zoom and you can set up the meeting so would you like to share more insights about the x.ai as well as this configuration absolutely i'll give you the 4 hour seminar on that but that's not what you're asking for so i'll give you the compressed version of the 4 hour seminar mm -hmm. so all of us here have received an email either this week last week and if not you'll receive it tomorrow they'll say hey dennis i'm going to be uh, in manhattan in october do you have time to going to meet up mm -hmm. and i can almost immediately decide whether i want to meet up with that person or not as in that i just know intuitively whether i should spend time with them mm -hmm. and what we would usually do is yeah i'm up for that and i'll ask when are you here they'll say oh october 10th Mm -hmm. uh, can we do the afternoon? I'm actually pretty busy with some customers. Can we do one? Yeah, we can. Can we meet up at your office? Sure. Let's do one to one forty. I'll send you an invite. And that whole kind of ping pong. There's nothing difficult about it. It's just yet another chore in my inbox, which is not really my job. Now, what we can do at X.AI is to allow you. to use natural language cc in an agent say amy at x.ai or andrew at x.ai or the non humanized schedule at x.ai they're all similar you cc them in and you email client reply back in natural language and say hey tommy i'm up for that amy find some time at the office for tommy and i for 40 minutes when he's in manhattan i click send and i click archive archive because this is not my job anymore Scheduler now does a few things. It finds out who is Dennis. Do I work for him? Oh, I do. What does his calendar look like? It looks like this. What other promises have I made on his behalf on other meetings that I might be in the midst of scheduling? Is there any specific instructions for this particular meeting? Oh, it needs to be in October when this individual is in town. And once I've taken all that information in, let me construct an email and send out to this individual. <laughs> where we suggest can we do this and that day on these particular times and then reach some sort of conclusion and upon conclusion send out an invite and again it is not that you that you don't know how to do this it's just that you'd rather be without this chore and we can kind of take that on so that's uh, the one part of what we do we also do the usual parts kind of steps towards this more sophisticated level for where you can share your availability on calendar pages and Mm -hmm. have kind of shared calendars with your coworkers and round robin and all sorts of sexy stuff but think of really any event on your calendar that you had to put there yourself we can help you kind of put that in place instead that's really what we try to do remove this as a chore okay and is it like something that a lot of organization are adapting to the zoom nowadays just because of the virtual remote working um, i mean the pandemic situation so uh, are there any like organizational uh, level implementation that people are doing uh, in the like bulk mass uh, implementation with the x.ai configuration so we certainly see uh, we see anything from uh, two guys in the basement mm -hmm. to uh, kind of large enterprises mm -hmm. uh, turn this into a line item in their budgets kind of like uh, any two man band will have a solution to sign their contracts digitally mm -hmm. 
Nobody's printing out and signing things in paper okay. and scanning them anymore. And we're kind of the same for where this is becoming normal, for where this is just something that you have and it's not exotic. I don't think we are, we are on the same trajectory, say, as uh, digital signatures or saving files in the cloud that happened uh, half a decade ago. So when large organizations uh, adopt this or even just medium-sized, mm-hmm. it typically tends to be... Uh, individual business units who adopt them first and then it kind of propagates. So it could be, take uh, Spotify, uh, the recruiters sign up. Their whole life is meeting up with candidates. As in, that's what they do, meeting up with the candidates and trying to kind of schedule meetings. We have all sorts of features to kind of cater to recruiters to kind of make sure that we make life easier for them. Mm-hmm. Or we see uh, the sales department. They have... Uh, mm-hmm sales development representatives that qualify leads that come in. Their whole job is be on the phone to qualify leads. They can send to the account executives mm-hmm. whose life is then doing demos with those leads and so on and so forth. So we tend to see individual departments kind of pick up on some element of the solution and then we propagate from there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. sometimes we also just see rogue employees just pick it up use the corporate credit card and they just use it like oh, okay. mm-hmm. so it will go from uh, like um, personal individual use to the large enterprise level uh, usage right that anybody who's seen uh, slack trello dropbox and similar propagate in their organization our go-to-market uh, strategy is very similar and mm-hmm. we typically see it start with one person then mm-hmm. that blossoms into a unit then into a team, and then it turns into a contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, sounds great. And I love the idea, actually. It is a simple idea. So one question that I would like to ask, it is not part of the questions, but if you would like to answer that, is uh, when it comes to the idea, right, uh, that you come up with the idea that, you know, automate the scheduling of the meetings and uh, with the AI, with the help of AI. So it is... Uh, how that process goes when you find the idea and implement it and goes to the market? So I'm very skeptical <laughs> of people getting two or three mates together mm-hmm. on a Friday night over a pizza and a couple of beers, going to the whiteboard, trying to come up with an idea. Any one of those ideas tend to be lousy. I said, it's very hard on the spot to dream up a good idea. Mm-hmm. I personally try to do the reverse. So that's my uh, process. So I have a little list of hate on my phone for where anything which I really dislike, mm-hmm. I just take a note of. And I do that every day, every week, all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go back sometimes and look at my list. What is it that you dislike? Because the things you really dislike there should be a solution for that. Sometimes there is, sometimes there is not. And when I, and I do this while I have ventures, when I'm done with a venture, we get to some sort of exit or whatever it might look like. Mm-hmm. And I go back and look at this list which I haven't looked at for years. And I'll just have page upon page upon page of things I dislike, a really unhappy boy. Mm-hmm. And what I saw for this particular problem, that of scheduling meetings, where I've always been too frugal to hire a personal assistant. So I've always done it myself, sitting at 10 p.m. on a Thursday night in my underwear with a bowl of cereal, trying to schedule my meetings. Mm -hmm. And I just saw that, huh, this is on your list multiple times and it's 
Why is this not solved? Because mm-hmm. you've been writing that on your list for years. And that was kind of the, uh, the beginning of my exploration. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about how we explore ideas, but that's certainly the, the catalyst. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's great. And thank you so much for sharing. Uh, the way you are talking definitely shows your uh, passion towards it. And I couldn't deny that more. Uh, more Moving towards one more quality that uh, I have mentioned already in your introduction, that you are an author. So um, several books you have, including the Yahoo Web Analytics. So would you like to share more about it with the audience? I'll give uh, a few pointers. Uh, not on my books, uh, mm-hmm. necessarily, but uh, perhaps on the book writing process. Uh, mm-hmm. There's, uh, there might be some people with, uh, with, a, with an idea of them actually making some money writing books. Mm-hmm. So I'll just remove that immediately. That is not happening. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's just a lottery for where some people might win that lottery. Now, most people understand that there's some sort of prestige in writing a book and you know what mm-hmm. that prestige that come attached with writing a book on whatever subject matter where you might be an expert mm-hmm. i didn't fully appreciate that myself until i wrote a book mm-hmm. any room certainly for where i walked in where a book of mine where the subject matter people will give you <laughs> an unfair level of credit on your expertise because you're the guy who wrote the book mm-hmm. and you're not necessarily any smarter than any one of the other folks in the room. But the fact that you actually spent time thinking it through, assembling into a coherent set of thoughts over 400 pages mm-hmm. gives you some credibility. That I didn't fully compute. That was uh, very surprising. And uh, you are just uh, not on a pedestal, but you're just... Uh, a couple of inches higher than everybody else when you walk into that room. So do it for that uh, alone. Mm-hmm. And you should almost think of it as uh, a, a business card, uh, slightly a media, but, but it works very well for that. Mm-hmm. Now, writing a book, though, damn, that is hard work. I somehow imagined mm-hmm. it would be me at night with a glass of wine, mm-hmm. some jazz music, typing away, it is not that at all. It is just hard work. I tried multiple kind of processes where, okay, I'll write an hour and a half every morning. That didn't work. I'll write an hour in the evening. That didn't work. I ended up uh, spending 10 hours writing every Saturday for five months. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got, got uh, my kind of data-driven insights book written but it was actually just very hard work and this idea of you writing uh, mm-hmm. everybody who's written a book here know exactly what i'm talking about you're never writing one chapter so uh, i wrote it for wiley they have four editors on your back so while you're writing a new chapter you are finishing up the kind of technical edits with the technical editor on and one chapter then you're finishing up the kind of mm-hmm. grammatical uh, edits with another editor and you're working on four chapters at the same time, and the whole thing is very not sexy, just hard work. But uh, I, I highly recommend it. It should be on anybody's bucket list at some point in life to write a book, just to kind of tick it off. 
Yes, that's true. And uh, as you mentioned, like, you know, uh, the way I am understanding you, you are yourself the critic of your own work more than, you know, somebody else gives you the feedback or the credit or not. Uh, it is more or like you analyze or criticize your work more than anybody else. Is it, is it like that? In, yes, but, but, uh, but I really think, especially in today's world, <laughs> where the modes are very kind of dramatic <laughs> from uh, we should get married to I bloody hate you because that's how the internet works. Everything is one star, five stars. Figure out whatever you want to call these two modes. <laughs> you need to uh, be very receptive to critique but don't uh, apply the kind of uh, vocabulary of the internet because that will just uh, bring you down yeah. just take it on as oh there's something here for where he didn't see it as i saw it why was that and be a little bit more analytical about it and mm -hmm. like again we can go back to the beginning and uh, That'll be a good kind of uh, closing the loop on our chat here. It's like professional sports. Mm -hmm. You know what? Not everybody loves Roger Federer. And there'll be some vile commentary on the internet. Mm -hmm. he, he seems like a nice person. Yes, he seems very likable. But it wouldn't take me more than two minutes to mm -hmm. find some vile commentary on the internet. And you just need to kind of let that slide and find a way to kind of extract that on your own mm -hmm. so you can figure out, oh, what is the critique really here? It sounded very personal and actually on me. And you know what? It really isn't. Uh, and it's just the way people write on the internet. So what was the critique really? Ah, oh, it's the onboarding process, which doesn't really work on mobile. That's what he's trying to say. You know what? Fair enough. I actually did the onboarding on mobile. I don't think that's uh, super solid. <laughs> Good critique. I'll work on that. I'm not sure he needed to add all those... Uh, you know, obscene words, but uh, I see where he's coming from, and that's that. So uh, that's just a, I think, footnote to kind of survive suddenly as a tech entrepreneur on the internet in the year 2020. Mm -hmm. Wow, this is really great hearing from you, actually. Uh, I'm really enjoying talking to you, and uh, hope audience is also going to learn a lot more things. So moving towards our next question is about, you know, uh, career challenges. So when it comes to challenges or the achievements, like how do you handle the success or the failure? I like some people will attach their life's worth to the success of their startup. As mm -hmm. in, if my startup is successful, mm -hmm. I'm happy, if not ecstatic. If mm -hmm. it's not successful, I'll be unhappy, perhaps even depressive. Mm -hmm. You cannot and should not do that. You are equally lovable, whether you're making $10 in monthly recurring revenue or a million dollars in monthly recurring revenue or whatever you might be shooting for. As mm -hmm. in, it must be the journey itself that you find joy in mm. and your life's worth is what you kind of bring to the world, not the success of this particular game. If you fail, hey, take some good notes, learn from it, be a little bit better at your game 
the next time, but you should walk home and feel mm-hmm. you know, as proud, uh, as honest and delightful an individual mm-hmm. as if you kind of want to lost a customer today or not. As in just really trying to detach yourself from that. So those two aren't uh, one and the same thing. Because mm-hmm. that uh, I haven't seen be a healthy attachment. And I've never, and I know it's not uh, easy. And uh, surely there's some days where I can be a little bit, oh, damn it. Why did we lose that customer? Or hooray, mm-hmm. we closed this contract. Uh, but I do actually try to uh, detach myself from it and just see it as a game and uh, as professional sports. You win some, lose some, I'm a little bit better tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great and very nice quote to have. Uh, moving towards our one more question is that again associated with your you know, uh, prior uh, entrepreneurship side, uh, prior career towards the entrepreneurship side. So your two previous two firms, uh, one was acquired by Yahoo and other one was with the Outbrain. Would you like to share anything specific about that experience when it uh, got acquired? There's many things we could talk about in a M&A setting, mm-hmm. but one piece of advice to anybody doing anything entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. if you think too much about what the end looks like, mm-hmm. I'm not sure you'll get there. As in, if you're swimming the English Channel from some point in England to some mm-hmm. point in France, mm-hmm. I think you need to focus on the swimming, not on how lovely it's going to be when you arrive in France, because then you're going to drown. And let's translate that back into uh, a startup. You should really just think about making good product and happy customers. Mm-hmm. Just keep doing that. If you keep doing that, you're making something so valuable that mm-hmm. other people actually might want to you know, own a part of it, invest in it, buy it. Uh, become an employee, be anything together with you because this is uh, pretty awesome. So I've always just tried to focus on build some good product, mm-hmm. make some happy customers, keep doing that. Then the opportunities tend to you know, arrive at your front door and you don't need to really go chase them. If you don't chase them, the whole thing becomes a little uh, inauthentic and you're building for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Uh, it's really very wise. And uh, moving towards the closure of the show, actually, one uh, there are two questions left. One is about, you know, uh, the way you are talking itself shows that you are leadership, actually. So how do you describe your leadership style and any specific leader that you always follow or admire? I like radical transparency mm-hmm. as in if people who I somehow convinced to join me mm-hmm. don't see me believing in the mission they should quit as in mm-hmm. you can fake many things mm-hmm. enthusiasm is just not one of them mm-hmm. as in you can't you can look at me hopefully or most people can look at me when I speak about my adventure and say well uh, he might die but he certainly believes in it. So uh, good luck, Dennis. I wish you, uh, you know, I really hope you get to the other side. <laughs> and I think my leadership style is one of just being very open with people. I said, I don't, and I'll say that out loud, not out of 
who I hope none of my teammates will look at this particular uh, podcast uh, yeah. and see. But did Dennis just suggest that we might not make it? I tell everybody from day one that, well, this is a startup and we are now in the earliest of phases. We're probably not going to make it. Now, probably not going to make it is the default mode. That is the most likely outcome of any startup. So we're not uh, unlucky or it will not be unnatural. That will be the most natural outcome. So what you should think about is, Dennis, well, so how much capital do we have and how long can we live? Oh, 18 months? Well, how much can you then learn in 18 months knowing that we are probably going to go tits up in 18 months? If you don't think you can learn enough in 18 months, don't join. Now, if you do join, well, that's also the kind of the odd opportunity. We might make it past 18 months because we are uh, able, willing, eager to overcome the obstacles. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Not only did you learn something, but we got to the next phase. So radical transparency, being very upfront. Don't bullshit people with uh, things that you hope for. Just tell it to them straight. It'll be dangerous. Mm -hmm. You will probably die. But you're going to be fun and you're going to be a whole lot smarter on the other side. Yeah, that's very true, I guess. And the way you are mentioning it, it is important in the business very much. Uh, because uh, being diplomatic never works. It is more or important to have that transparency. When it comes to the team building, definitely it is a very important uh, thing to have within the team as well. So thank you so much for sharing. And uh, towards the last question of this show is about any specific tips or advice. Already you mentioned a lot of things which are very wise for the audience. And uh, just to end up this podcast, uh, any tip or advice that for the aspiring entrepreneurs or the students or the professionals who are you know, uh, get, trying to get into this AI field or uh, trying to grow in this field? I am so pro-entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. that I cannot not advertise that uh, mm -hmm. career avenue. And there's obviously no date too late for where you can join my tribe. Mm -hmm. And I really wish, even if it's just on your bucket list, I, I uh, advocate for this to be a lifelong career, but even if it's just on your bucket list, mm -hmm. that you actually do go out and try to do a venture because it's a lovely story. So when you get to the end and you sit with your kids, and your kids' kids, and talk about, well, let me tell you a story about back 30 years ago, we mm -hmm. did this particular venture. It blew up in our face, but you know what? It was fun as hell. Here are the things I can tell you. So go out and do that thing, and don't be ashamed of it not working. Just mm -hmm. even make up your mind and kind of tell yourself that, you know what? It's going to be 27 months. It's going to be uh, hard as hell, fun as hell. But you know what? We're probably going to die, but it's going to be 27 great months. It's going to be the one story I'll continue to come back to and tell at family gatherings, Christmas parties, and this and that. But do it. Don't think about it. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and the consideration once again being on the sh being on the show. Actually, it's really very you know uh, value add you having you as a guest on my show so thank you so much and just to summarize to the audience a uh, couple of quick keywords i would mention it is that you know uh, always uh, at least choose one career path as a lifelong uh, career path and then you can have several things around that you know you are interested in or passionate about but always have one thing 
which you would like to be more passionate or look as your career choice in the lifelong as well as to achieve that definitely you need to be hard working in also you need to be um, improvising yourself continuously and uh, you have to actually love what you are doing so thank you so much and i hope you are going to enjoy this episode as i always say until we meet happy leading let's lead together stay safe bye for now